0: Shall we uh, pray before we open God's word? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we don't need to guess what this universe is all about, what we are supposed to do here, where we came from and where we're going to. Father, we thank you for your word that you have revealed yourself. And we thank you most of all that you have communicated your gospel to us. The gift of a Savior. And Father, now we want to hear your voice. We want to learn from you. We want to hear what you have to say to us, each one of us, this morning. So I pray, Father, that you will speak through me and at the same time to me, and to all of us, that you will change our heart and work your purpose in our lives. In the Lord Jesus' name, Amen. All right, we have uh, finished the series on Joseph last week when Billy preached. And today we will continue our Mark series that we sort of put on hold in uh, April. And we will um, pick up where we stopped on um, Palm Sunday, and that is in Mark chapter eleven. It's been a while, but maybe you remember that week when we were um, studying that passage where the Lord Jesus is riding on a donkey entering Jerusalem, and where he is hailed as king, and everybody was crying Hosanna. But less than a week later, he was rejected and betrayed and crucified. But praise God, we have also celebrated Good Friday. And after Good Friday came Easter. That means Christ is risen. Um, I listened to a message of Rabbi Zacharias this week. He uh, passed away. He was in fact uh, buried uh, on the 21st this month. But he said, "He said, man may trample on the grave of Jesus, he is not there. And that is wonderful. He is risen. Um, but here in Mark, in chapter 11 and the next few chapters, we cover that final week in the life of uh, Jesus before his death and then his resurrection. The death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm using that full title, um, that full name, Because that is really who he is. And I hope you will uh, see that in a minute. And that has already answered the question of the title of this sermon. And let me put that on the screen also. I have named this uh, sermon, Who do you think you are? That was a question that was addressed to Jesus. Sorry. Um, let me try to get that on the screen Yeah, there was a question addressed to the Lord Jesus but I believe that this morning he is also um, asking us that same question one moment Um, I don't seem to get my presentation on the screen oh yeah, there it is So, who do you think you are? That is the title of this sermon. And I have answered that question already. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. And then secondly, let's ask ourselves that question. Who do we think we are? We will go through the text um, in Mark chapter 11, verse 11 through 33. that letter so there's a technical technical problem here let me fix that yeah now it should be on your screen right okay let's turn to mark chapter 11 verse 11 and we go uh, through the text bit by bit i will make a few comments and then uh, i will try to make an application for ourselves so mark chapter 11 i hope you have uh, your bibles at hand and then you can read along verse 11 and he entered jerusalem and went into the temple and when he had looked around at everything as it was already laid He went out to Bethany with the twelve. So Jesus enters the temple, and that was really the heart of the Jewish religion, and he looks around. We will see later in the chapter what exactly he saw. We will also see what he thought about it, and how he is going to react to that as he will cleanse the temple. We will read that later on. But here, he just looks around. He doesn't do anything. He leaves the city very calm, very patient, and also very wise. And there's a lesson in that for us. Let's try to remember that when we are angry about something, when we feel we have a right to speak up or to shake our fist, talk about it with Father. Rest first. Be balanced. Be wise. And then only do what needs to be done. Then verse 12 through fourteen. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing in a distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. He said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. So that is quite strange and it seems very much out of character. What is Jesus doing? Why is he talking to a tree in the first place? And why is he cursing that tree? Because that is what he does. He curses the tree. It wasn't even the season for figs. And I thought that Jesus was nice and kind and very gentle. But now he is cursing a tree and Further down in the chapter, he's going to overturn tables and cleanse a temple. What's going on? Is he having a bad day or something? Or what is it? Is he losing his temper? Well, of course not. Jesus is perfect. In the Old Testament, the fig tree often stands as a metaphor for Israel. Let me show you one verse where we see that. In uh, Hosea 9 verse 10, it says, like grapes in the wilderness, I found Israel like the first fruit on the fig tree in its first season. But then in uh, Jeremiah 8 verse 13, where God is addressing Judah and Jerusalem, he says, when I would gather them, declares the Lord, there are no grapes on the vine, nor figs on the fig tree even the leaves are withered you see the Messiah has come but all he finds is leaves no fruit and even though it was not the time of figs there should have been plenty of green immature figs on that tree the promise of future fruitfulness and that was not so much about this tree it was about the nation of Israel there should have been at least those green immature fruits of repentance and faith but there wasn't any fruit, only leaves remember what the Lord Jesus said in Mark 7 um, quite some time back, we covered that chapter, he says these people honors me with their lips their heart is far from me we have now come to The end, the close of the ministry of the Lord Jesus here. Three and a half years have passed. He has spoken to them, He has healed them, He has been teaching them, ministering to them, proving that indeed He was the Messiah. And what is the result? No fruit, only leaves. Yeah, they were crying, Hosanna, Hosanna. But it was empty, it was only leaves. One week later, they would cry, crucify him. And so here, Jesus is cursing that fig tree. That tree symbolizing the nation of Israel as natural people has come to an end. And then he moves on to the temple. Let's read that in verse 15 through 19. And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons, and he would not allow anyone to carry anything to the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it, and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. So it was peak season in Jerusalem. It was just before Passover. A lot of people, pilgrims, were gathering there. And there were money changers making huge profit. And other people were selling animals for sacrifice. And they were turning worship into business. Even pigeons they were selling, pigeons that only the poor people could afford, people like Joseph and Mary, remember? Even those poor people were being exploited. And Jesus overturns the tables. He stops the service. Nobody could carry anything to the temple. And he says, you have made it a den of robbers. That means criminals feel safe here that is what was happening and of course they had very good excuses for their business they were just being practical they were meeting the needs of pilgrims right they needed those animals right but they were forgetting that it was the house of god a house of prayer for all nations and they were in fact hindering the people who came with a sincere heart and who were sincerely searching for god They were hindering them by turning things into a business and by doing things their own way. There was no real worship, just outward religion. And even the Passover, says John, that was supposed to be a feast of the Lord, had become a feast of the Jews. It was only leaves and no fruit, and Jesus stops the show. And then the chief priests and the scribes, and the leaders, those who shoot know best, they are very much offended. Who does this man think he is? And they want to destroy him. But then Jesus leaves the city. Jerusalem, where he just entered as king on a donkey, he wouldn't even sleep there. Let's read on in verse 20. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And whenever you stand praying, forgive, if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. So Peter says, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus' response is, have faith in God. Now what does it mean? How do these words even relate to this withered fig tree? I think that Jesus is encouraging faith as the means to remove difficulties, even a problem of fruitlessness. Faith in God to remove mountainous obstacles. And please note that these verses do not um, give a person authority to claim miracles for themselves, for their own convenience or according to their own will. Because remember the sermon, the title of the sermon was Who Do You Think You Are? And I think the lesson in this chapter is that all authority is given to the Son of God. And yet sometimes people pray as if they have the authority to tell God what to do. I once heard a very sad story of a child that was very sick. And there was a group of Christians in the church praying over this child and claiming that the child would be healed and recovered and that the child would live if only the parents had enough faith and then they prayed and they prayed and things got worse and ultimately the child died but they continued praying even during the funeral that the child would rise from the dead which didn't happen and now the parents were even more devastated they not only lost their child but they were also thinking that something was wrong with their faith. I don't think that these verses uh, give us um, authority to pray in that manner. We are not encouraged to have faith in faith, as these people were doing. But Jesus says, have faith in God. And when we read verses like this, we need to read it in the context and also in the context of other verses that deal with this uh, topic. I think one thing that we learn in this passage about prayer is that it is all about an intimate relationship with God, aligning our will to his will, listening to his voice uh, that comes through us through his word and his spirit and then we should pray according to his promises not according to our wishes. And a person that came to mind is Elijah, in 1 Kings 18, where, when you read the chapter, you can read that uh, on your own. 1 Kings 18, in the first verse, God says to Elijah, I will send rain. That was a promise. But there was a problem of the fruitlessness of Israel. There was idolatry. The people were serving Baal. And that was standing in the way of blessing as a huge mountain. And Elijah stands alone on that mountain as God's faithful servant, calling for fire from heaven. I think you know the story. And God answers. And then these false prophets of Baal are killed. And then Elijah tells Ahab to go home because he says there is the sound of the rushing of rain. That was after three and a half years. And then Elijah climbs to the top of the Mount Carmel, bows himself down on the earth. Put his face between his knees and he prays seven times and Elijah the prophet by faith says Hebrews 11 33 he obtained the promise of God the heavens grew black with clouds and wind and there was great rain and James in the New Testament he reflects on this story about Elijah where he says in James 5 verse 16 The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. So for three and a half years there was no rain, no fruit, Do you see the parallel here with the ministry of Jesus, who was also ministering for three and a half years, but there was no fruit. And now it was over with Israel as natural people, people in the flesh. There was no fruit, only leaves. And John the Baptist, at the beginning of the ministry of Jesus, he put the axe at the root of the tree. And now three and a half years later, the fig tree was cursed. The most privileged people in the world, the people of God, had failed. And what does that say about us? But thank God, Jesus went on to the cross. He did what we could not do. Then he rose and went back to heaven and poured out his spirit. Today is Pentecost. Natural man cannot produce fruit for God. But the Spirit came. And then after the Spirit was poured out, the disciples went out with the promises of God. All power is given unto me. And he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And they went spreading the gospel. But they went praying and fasting all the time, removing mountains. And then as James says, the earth bore its fruit. And I think this is the prayer of faith. Spirit filled, intimate with God. But you can't do that when you hold a grudge against somebody else. So Jesus says, back to Mark 11, verse 25, whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone. Are you saved by grace? Then extend that grace to other people. Forgive, as the Father has forgiven you. Then verse 27, Mark 11, verse 27. And they came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. And they said to him, By what authority are you doing these things? or who gave you this authority to do them? Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But shall we say from man? They were afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. So these leaders here, they burn with anger, really. He touched their temple. That's how they felt. And they they would really want to kill him, but they have to control themselves because of the crowd. So instead, they challenge him by asking questions. He must be brought down somehow. By what authority are you doing these things? And Jesus replies with a question, which, by the way, is already a proof of his authority. When you answer a question by another question, you are exercising authority. And the question is this, the light that they had received to the forerunner, John the Baptist, was that light from God or not? And they refused to answer the question. And here we have a very important principle. Light rejected results in less light. Light accepted results in more light. Jesus says, you refuse to acknowledge the credentials of my forerunner? Then I have nothing to say to you about my own credentials. Sometimes at night I can't sleep. Thoughts keep me awake, and I shiver when I think of the responsibility that rests on the shoulder, on the shoulders of people, of men, the responsibility to accept or to reject. And both have eternal consequences. God will not violate our own free will. He respects our choice. If you don't respond to the light that you have received, no matter how much or how little light, but the amount of light that you have received, if you reject that, He will ultimately remove that light. And the end of that road is eternal darkness. Very solemn. Light rejected results in less light, light accepted results in more light. Here the Pharisees, the scribes, they reject the light they have received, and Jesus says, I have nothing to say to you. What a chapter, what a different Jesus, almost out of character it seems. The fig tree is cursed, the tables are upside down, the money is on the floor, And Jesus refuses to answer a question. What does that say? What does it mean? Well, I think it is very clear that Jesus does not believe in your and my ability to produce fruit for God. We are dried up from the root. But then, and that is the good news, he goes on, alone, the cross within one week you would be on that cross in fact he is saying I will do it father I will restore what they have taken there will be fruit I am going to make sure there will be fruit and that is the gospel what a gospel and our response should be Jesus I need you I'm standing here as naked as Adam in the Garden of Eden, with thick leaves that can't cover me, fruitless and sinful. If you, Jesus, don't believe in me, I also don't believe in me. And I was reminded of one of my favorite songs, Just as I am, without one plea, but that your blood was shed for me, and that you bid me, Come to thee, O Lamb of God. I come I come and I come thanking you for your sacrifice and I thank you for your spirit too I thank you for Pentecost and I believe that you can remove the mountains in my life obstacles that hinder the fruit of the Spirit and if there are tables in my life that need to be overturned please go ahead and if there's some business going on in my life That is wrong, please expose it. Let my life, this temple, be a place of worship. Let there be fruit on this tree, my life. I think that is where it starts. You and I, personally, in the presence of God. But then also, not just us personally, but also the church. It seems that in the past few months, the Lord has overturned some tables in our temples recently. All over the world million dollar church buildings are standing vacant. The show has stopped. But let's not point fingers to mega churches and prosperity gospel churches. But let's realize that also the chairs in IBCDI are collecting dust at the moment. And we need to ask ourselves, Lord, what is your message to us? It is not our church, it is your church. The fellowship of your people is the Lord's supper. We are made kings and priests for your God and Father. And we need to ask ourselves, have we been celebrating our feast instead of his feast? Is our little upper room in Bukit Indah a den of robbers where sinners feel safe and comfortable? Or is it a holy temple where our conscience is stirred? You see, it is very uncomfortable when Jesus starts to rearrange the furniture in our own lives or in our church. We might feel offended. But who do we think he is and who do we think we are? But he is not aggressive. He is not over overreacting, he will come as we saw in this chapter, and he will look around, he will sleep and come back. And if he comes to us or to our church to expose that it's all leaves but no fruit, thank God for it. He loves you, he gave his son in your place so that you can receive life. Give up trying. You only produce more leaves. Receive Christ, your substitute. And those of us who have received Christ, we are a temple of the Spirit. But still He might come and stir things up. And I hope that this morning the Lord has come to His temple. And let's not question His authority, but rather ask Him, Lord, what is it that you want me to see? and then have faith that he can remove that mountain. Shall we pray? Father, it's a strange chapter that we uh, have studied this morning. It's almost like we see a different Jesus. But when we think about it, when Jesus was cursing that tree, and when we see ourselves in that tree, it also liberates us from ourselves, from our trying, for, our, for us not being able to produce fruit. But the glorious gospel we have that we can rest in someone else who went to that cross to do everything that we could not do. to be our Savior, to be our substitute. And as we have come to an end of ourselves, we look up to this Jesus who says, come to me. Father, as we belong to you now, we thank you for the Spirit whom you have given to us, who is living in us, producing, that fruit, but we know that we can be distracted that we still can go our own ways and um, even quench the spirit in our own lives so father we pray that you will stir us up and teach us what you want to teach us that you show us what we need to see and help us to believe that you are able to overcome in our lives even those mountains that have been standing in the way for years maybe father we pray that you will help us to see them and believe and trust in you that you can overcome them so that we will bear more fruit to the glory of god we commit ourselves into your hands for the week that is ahead of us father we pray for those of us who are struggling those of us who are grieving who have lost loved ones, who feel separation from the home country and the family even more than in normal circumstances. Father, we pray for your help and your comfort for this week. In the Lord Jesus' name. Amen.